the truth is that when we lift our heads above the chaos of our everyday lives, we all too often discover ourselves kind of lost in a maze of choices and, uh, and issues, and we confess today from the very beginning of this service that we are lost. Were it not for you, we would be lost forever, but because of you, because of Jesus, there's room for us in your kingdom. So God, seek us out and find us today. Be patient with us. Teach us how uh, to wait on you. Transform this time of worship so that we will know that we have been in your presence, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome and thank you for uh, coming today to share this time with us. If you haven't already, uh, I invite you to reach in your worship folder and pull out a connection card that looks like this and uh, fill it out. Let us know that you're with us today. We'd appreciate that. On the back, there's room for prayer concerns or other information you may want to share with our staff as well. Uh, It's our desire that uh, you would see Jesus in all of us this morning and uh, feel the presence of Christ here. So thank you for uh, sharing this day with us. The message today is entitled, Shifting Our Focus. And if you use a computer, you know that uh, somewhere down near the bottom uh, in the corner is a shift key. Now the shift key has really only one function, and that is to change things. So you press the shift key, and you can change a letter from small case to uh, uppercase. You can press the shift key, and you can get a number uh, to change to a symbol. But shift simply means the changing of something to something else. And um, as we read through the scripture, we know that the Bible is full of people who made uh, some giant shifts in their lives. One uh, that we're going to be talking about today is Moses, who, who at one time was the prince of Egypt, who became the leader of God's people and led them out of bondage uh, to a life of freedom. And this was a major shift in his life. And we're going to get into that in, in, in a bit. But I think about David, a shepherd boy who became the king of Israel, another big shift. Uh, I I think about Saul, the persecutor of the church who became the greatest missionary of the church, another huge shift. Um, This is a part of a four-part series during this month of June on the life of Moses from the Old Testament scriptures, and we're going to be talking about the role that Moses' ego played in his early life and how there needed to be a shift in order for him to fully depend on God to use him And uh, we'll get into the details of that uh, shortly. But bow with me in a moment of prayer, will you? Lord, we pray that you would just simply quiet our busy minds and our fearful hearts uh, this morning in your presence so that we may be still uh, before your awesome majesty. Speak to us at our point of need. Help us to see beyond the present moment, beyond any limited understanding beyond what we may be going through today to see the power of the living Christ operating in our lives and grant us wisdom and courage to follow you in faith. Give us the assurance that the God of hosts is with us. The God of our ancestors is still with us and hears us and leads us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The famous actor Gregory Peck was once standing in line with a friend waiting for a table in a crowded Los Angeles restaurant. They had been waiting for some time. The diners seemed to be taking their time eating, and new tables weren't opening up very quickly. 
They weren't even that close to the front of the line, and Peck's friend uh, became impatient, and he said to Gregory Peck, why don't you tell the maitre d' who you are? And Gregory Peck responded with great wisdom. He said, if you have to tell people who you are, then you aren't. What does it mean when someone says, that person has a big ego? The word ego has to do with a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance. Ego is about what a person thinks and feels and is willing to do to distinguish themselves from other people. And when a person defines their identity as separate from the outside world and considers himself or herself as the center of the universe, we say they have a large ego. A big ego might say, I'm better than you. It drives us to be self-sufficient and to make plans around the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And often we connect it to pride or things like arrogance or self-centeredness. Sometimes a healthy ego is good when it causes us to fight for ourselves or be competitive. Sometimes it lacks sensitivity and can be hurtful and lead to the destruction of others. I've been in ministry a long time, and one of those bits of wisdom that has helped me many times along the way is knowing that to be successful in ministry, you have to get your ego out of the way. The word ego doesn't mean pride as much as it means self. So overcoming our ego isn't primarily about getting over an inflated sense of our own importance and abilities, it's just getting over ourselves. To be an effective leader, we have to take ourselves out of the equation and remember that it's not all about me. This isn't just important in ministry or in a leadership role, this is important in life. And too often, we think that the world revolves around us and that the most important thing in everyone else's life is what we post on Instagram or Facebook. There are dozens of articles and studies being done on how social media heightens our sense of self-importance because we're able to share every moment of our lives and what we think about everything in the world, whether the world wants to see it or hear it or not, creates this false sense of our own importance. But as long as we're at the center of our world and everything seems to be about us, we miss out on a lot of life and we miss out on what God wants for us. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? It's in losing our life that we find life. It's in losing ourself and overcoming our egos that we find more of life. You know, last week we started looking at the life of one of the most important characters in the Old Testament scriptures, the man Moses, and we heard how he was rescued from certain death because there were several women who were willing to overcome their history, overcome great obstacles and step out in faith and encourage and, and, and do the right thing. And because Moses was rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh, he went from poverty to power. He became a great prince in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 2, we read that as a young man, Moses decided one day to visit his people, the Hebrews. And he saw firsthand how hard they were forced to work. And during that visit, he saw this Egyptian uh, mistreating a Hebrew slave. And so he got angry, and he stepped in, and he killed the Egyptian. And he hid the man's body. 
And Moses was afraid people would find out in what he had done, and so he fled into the wilderness of Midian. And it was there in Midian that Moses got married and tended the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. And one day as Moses was out uh, on the countryside with the sheep, he encountered this bush that was on fire but was not consumed by the flames. And the sight was so strange to him that he stopped to examine what was going on. And when God saw that he had Moses' attention in this burning bush, God decided to speak to him. And through the burning bush, God told Moses that he had heard the cry of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, and he was going to rescue them, and he was going to lead them into the promised land. And God said to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, you must be the one to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And Moses' response, however, was not to think about God or God's purpose or God's power, nor was it to think about the Hebrew people and their situation uh, that they were in. Moses started thinking only about himself. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And when we hear this, we might think that Moses was just being very humble. But as we read on, we don't see humility here. We just see Moses consumed by himself and what he perceived to be his inadequacies. And in the rest of Exodus 3 and on into Exodus chapter 4, God and Moses have this conversation going where God is consistently trying to help Moses see what's going to take place isn't about Moses. It's about God. And God says that he will be with Moses to accomplish this great task. And in chapter 3, verse 12, says, God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. And when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And then God does something unique. He gives Moses his name which means that Moses will have access to God's power. And he can use God's name to help the Hebrew people understand who the God is that is leading them. And then God gives Moses the complete plan for liberating the Israelites. And God says that it won't be all up to Moses to do this. God will be the one to persuade both the Israelites and the Egyptians to work with Moses. Chapter 3, verse 18, the elders of Israel will accept your message, and then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, uh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them, And then at last he will let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when when you go so that you will not leave empty-handed. You see, God was going to take care of everything. Because this wasn't about Moses. It was about God and God's people, and it was about God's plan and God's power. And God was going to give Moses everything that he needed But Moses wasn't able to see God's hand in any of this because he's only thinking of himself. Moses continues to be obsessed with his own ego, and he says to God, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? 
Now notice Moses' words here. All he can think about is himself. And once, uh, God once again is patient with Moses and provides him with three miracles that he can do to help convince the people that it is God that sends him. One, Moses can throw his staff to the ground and it will turn into a snake. Two, Moses can put his hand in, his po- in the pocket of his robe and bring it out completely covered with leprosy and then he can put it back in and bring it out completely healed. And three, Moses can pour water from the Nile River out on the ground and have it turn to blood. And God gives Moses these three miracles to do, but Moses continues to only think about himself and his limitations. So he pleads with God. He said, Lord, I'm not a very good with words. I've never, I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. And as we look at this statement, we see that Moses continues to be only thinking about himself. God has just convinced Moses with miraculous powers. He's provided him with everything he needs, and all Moses can think about is his own failings, his own shortcomings. God even tries to remind Moses that because he is the one who made him, God can do whatever he wants uh, through him in, in his life. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses persists in his self-centered way and once more says to God, Lord, please send anyone else. Now, God's getting a little frustrated with Moses at this point. The text says that God's anger burned against Moses, but God does not give up. God actually gives Moses what he wants. Well, kind of. God does not send someone else not to replace Moses, but he does send someone else to go with him. God sends his brother Aaron to work with Moses in setting uh, the people of Israel free. Now notice that through this entire conversation with the living God, Moses is only focused on himself. And while God is offering great power and great strength, Moses is focused on his fear and his anxiety. And while God offers Moses miracles, Moses can only see his limitations and his failures. And as long as Moses is focused on himself, he's not able to grab hold of the life that God has for him. So God is offering Moses the opportunity to be part of something historic, something life-changing. God is asking Moses to, to serve his people and to save a nation. And God is giving him everything he's going to need to do it. But all Moses can think about is himself and his human weakness. And that's not healthy humility. That is self-centeredness. You see, while it's easy to see our, how ego is a problem for Moses... Uh, I'm not sure we can always see the part that ego plays in our own lives. I've talked with so many people who feel like God can't use them because they don't think they're good enough, they don't think they're smart enough, they don't think they're gifted enough, and I've heard people say the same thing that Moses said, who am I that I should do this? No one's going to listen to me. No one's going to believe God sent me or is working in me. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough. And while I often listen sympathetic because, sympathetically because I've been there, 
what I often want to say is get over yourself. This isn't about you, it's about God. Some people have also disqualified themselves. They don't think God can ever forgive them, maybe for something in their past. And no matter how hard I try to help someone see that God forgives everyone and everything that God equips all of us to do more than we ever thought possible, we tend to get so fixed on our failures and limitations that we have difficulty seeing God's goodness. And when we're so caught up in our own sense of inability and insecurity, we can never see God's power and possibility. And then we can never experience the fullness of life that God offers. So all of us have to overcome our own ego. All of us have to overcome ourselves. And the way we do this is to shift our focus, to shift our focus from us to God. And that's exactly what God is desperately trying to do with Moses. He's trying to shift his focus. First, God told Moses his name, which is an amazing gift because in the culture of that day, if a person knew a God's name, it gave that person the authority and the power of that God. And so God gives Moses his name, I am, not just for the power, but to help Moses stop thinking about his own name or thinking about himself and start thinking about God. And secondly, God gives Moses his plan, and the plan was that God would be doing, uh, was going to do everything that was needed to help set these Israelites free. And third, God gave Moses his power, not just the ability to do one miracle, but three miracles, which would help convince the people that it is God who sent him. And finally, God reminds Moses that he's the one who created him in the first place. And if God created his mouth, then God can put words into that mouth that would be needed. And every time Moses says no, it's because he's looking at himself and not looking at God. To overcome our own egos, we also need to shift our focus from ourselves to God. And we do that by considering God's name, God's plan, God's power, and the reality that it's God who created us. You see, God's name can help us overcome our ego because all the different names in the, in the Bible for God are there to remind us of who God is and what God has done for us. There are actually over 100 names for God in the Bible. And when we think about God, as whether it's as our rock or our redeemer or our savior or our friend or whatever name for God is there, we stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about him. It's interesting that only in this encounter with Moses do we hear God called, I am. He said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the Lord, the creator. Every name God used was to help, was to help shift Moses' focus from himself to God. And in the same way, God's name can still help us to make that shift and overcome our own egos. Secondly, God's plan does the same thing. It reminds us that while our plans may fail, God's plan is eternal. God has a plan for us, and if we are willing to follow those plans, we will find that fullness of life that God can provide. God also makes it clear that he offers us his power, his power to use in following those plans so that we can do more than we ever thought we could do on our own. Jesus promised before he left this earth that the Holy Spirit would come upon us with power so that we can actually do greater things than even Jesus did when he walked on this earth. We don't do these things by trusting in our power. We do them by trusting in the power of God. And the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.13, for I am, 
I, uh, for I can do everything through Christ, the one who gives me the strength. But we also can overcome our ego when we remember that God is the one who created us. If God created us, then God already knows our faults, he knows our failures, he knows our limitations, and which means that God can either remove them or he can work around them or he can complete what he wants to do in our life. And what's interesting is that while Moses told God he was not eloquent, and God uh, gives in and sends Aaron to speak for him, but it is Moses who ends up doing almost all of the speaking. God removed whatever speech concern Moses had because God is the one who created Moses' mouth in the first place. And here's the point. We overcome our own egos by focusing on God. And when we consider who God is and what God can do in us and in our world through us, it truly does humble us in good ways. Instead of this false sense of humility where we become obsessed with our own selves, we are simply wise enough to understand that all we do comes from the power of God. Humility can go hand in hand with confidence, and our confidence is in the power of God, not the power of ourselves. Humility and confidence are both needed if we're going to overcome our own egos. We need to be humble before God and acknowledge that God is God and we're not which Moses does when he finally takes off his sandals in front of the burning bush and he enters into God's powerful and holy presence. But Moses also had to leave God's presence with a confident assurance that God was going to help him accomplish all that God's plan intended. Like Moses, we are being called into the presence of a powerful and holy God each and every day. He's the one who calls each of us Uh, to step out and do great things for him. But we aren't going to do anything of lasting value, nothing of worth, if we're just trusting in ourselves, but only as we trust in God. Overcoming our ego requires healthy humility. It requires faithful confidence in the goodness and the power of God. Overcoming our ego requires us to stop thinking about ourselves and start trusting in God. And overcoming our ego requires us to stop being so obsessed with ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Surprising God, you have an uncomfortable habit of just showing up where we least expect you. For Moses, it was in a burning bush. For us, it may be in the face of even an enemy For the world, it was on a rough wooden cross. So turn our lives upside down again today with your radical love. Help us to fully embrace your surprises, even as we revel in the joy of being fully embraced by your all-encompassing grace and mercy. God, meet us where we are and surprise us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.